Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Psych Monologues. Oop, I did it again. Um, the Outpost Podcast. You are in the right place if that's what you're looking for. Um, I'm Dr. Ray Mitch, your host. Thanks so much for joining me uh, for this uh, <laughs> um, calculated romp through grace. And uh, let, let me explain a little bit of what you've tuned into. If you know what you're in for, you can um, do something else for a few minutes. I just want to bring people up to speed as to what we're about and what, uh, what the Outpost podcast is really here for. Um, and what I spend a lot of time talking about is the intersection of faith, psychology, and spiritual formation. And in a lot of ways, that that is a certain amount of gobbledygook, I think, in a lot of people's minds, because it's like, yeah, what does that mean? Um, and why should I care? Uh, and I get that. I understand that. That's that's a lot of, it's, it's a framing. It's a way to label kind of what we're talking about. Um, I, I have been, um, I've been trained as a psychologist, so I'm going to think that way. And that will probably show tonight in particular. Um, but faith and spiritual formation may not be something that is in the, the center of people's range finder, uh, for their lives. You know, what, what, what are they focusing on? That's probably not that, which is fine, which is entirely fine, um, but I think there are things that, that are worth paying attention to, um, even in that area, whether or not I label it as that, that, that is worth um, attending to, if you will. So um, what we're about is to create a space where doubters, wounded, confused, um, the beat up and the beat down and the bruised and bent who feel like their lives are a disappointment to God, can feel accepted enough to be known and to know other people. Now, a word about that, because acceptance and feeling accepted is really the precondition for knowing other people. Because, I, you know, if I don't feel accepted, then I'm probably going to be very guarded, and how I go about knowing other people is going to show that. And the, the flip side is also true. To what degree can people know us if we are sure that if they got to know us the way that we really are, that they wouldn't accept us either, no more than we do? And so what we want to be is a place, at least in the digital world, I would love it to be something in the real world um, where uh, we, we can connect with other people. We can also meet the biblical Jesus as he is, not as he has been portrayed by toxic Christians. And there are plenty. Uh, you know, I think ultimately the, the, um, the audience, the, the people that I want to talk to the most are the very people that have been hurt the most by toxic Christians. And just to introduce them to the Jesus that is not those toxic people, uh, and and yet he he said some really tough things, and at the same time he also said things that a lot of people don't know anything about, really, when it comes right down to it. So the outpost is um, what I call kind of the voice of Stained Glass International or SGI, 
And and the mission and purpose of SGI is to equip, encourage, and empower the next generation <coughs> to live authentically in relationship to Jesus, themselves, and other people. And what my hope is, and like, you know, I, I, I haven't said this openly, I don't think. And it may not be in my lifetime. I certainly hope somebody will carry the torch beyond me but is that is that we could build outposts for the heart and communities for the soul people places in person where people can be known as they are and know others as they are and create the kind of connection in which the holy spirit actually uh, resides i think that's possible but we have to put down our masks and our armor to do that. And that that ends up requiring us to to have the kind of vulnerability that is really quite uncomfortable and I'm not I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It it is uncomfortable. But the one thing I do know is that as we are known as we are our chances of of learning how to accept ourselves as we are which is putting us square in what God is about. Because God loves you as you are, not as you should be, because you're never going to be what you should be. I mean, think about that. It's not just a trite way of saying that. Because God is far more accepting of us than we are of ourselves. Now, that doesn't mean that, that, you know, Acceptance is the same as it's okay. Um, ultimately, you're good. Everything will turn out fine. No, it doesn't mean that. That's not what acceptance is about. But ultimately, what I do know, because I've been a counselor for as long as I have, acceptance is the basis of change. But it, it cuts across a lot of other things. For example, I can't change something about myself a struggle that I have or addiction or whatever it is, I can't accept that or change that if I don't accept it. And acceptance is not a condoning or meaning that I will stay there. It doesn't mean that at all. As a matter of fact, I'm less likely to stay there if I actually learn to accept it in all of its facets. Okay? So the ministry of, of SGI uh, one of the main ministries outside of the Outpost podcast and resources and other things like that um, is is the the um, sponsoring and leading of silent retreats for young people. Uh, now that doesn't preclude older people, whoever they are. Be careful where you walk on that piece of ice. Um, but I. I want to see, and I have done this for the last 14 years, introducing young people to the the beauty and the disturbing, changing um, uh, heart of change that is found in silence and solitude. And that's that's really what it what it's about. And and so leading and uh, coordinating and doing these silent retreats. It is the heart of this ministry for sure. And um, we have four of them actually 
uh, scheduled for 2024, three in the spring and one in the fall. Um, two of those, is that right? Yeah, two of those um, are subsidized mostly for CC or all for CCU students by Colorado, Colorado Christian University. Um, the other two are supported by SGI, and we have a significant need, and I need to make you aware of that so that if you know somebody that is looking to reach to the next generation of people that that might need to bump into Jesus somehow, that we this is the place to do it because silence is inhabited. It's waiting for us. God is waiting for us there, and that's really where it's going to be found. So that's SGI. That's what we're about. That's, uh, the silent retreats are coming up. Uh, it's not that long. feels like it's a little ways off. But the first one is the 1st of April. There's another one in the middle of April. Uh, we have a third one in May, and then we have another one in the fall. And so it's, it's quite a lineup in a lot of ways uh, that um, I, I l- always look forward to them. Uh, and I, am ne- I never cease to be amazed at what God does in that context. It's not about anything I teach or any of the teachings. You're not going there to be taught other than to be taught by God himself about you specifically with him and um, perhaps calling you into a deeper relationship with him or calling you into a new relationship with him, which would be fine. It would be fantastic, actually. So anyway, that's that's all the lead up here. And thank you for joining me uh, for an hour-ish of your time to talk about such things. And what we left off talking about last time that I want to continue unpacking and talking about is I introduced the topic of what I call, what about grace? And a lot of the the distortions, actually, that we have around grace and what it means and everything else. And so if you're interested, go back, take a look at it, or listen to episode 10. If you want to look at it, you can. We have a video um, episode, uh, video podcast uh, that can be found on sgi-net.org. Um, and you can just go to the to the um, resources tab, choose Outpost Media, and you will see all of the video podcasts there. So what I want to talk about is following up with what we had finished with. And we were talking about grace, and we looked at it from the perspective of um, self-acceptance. And the challenge of self-acceptance is, is with... With different groups of people, it's different things, as, you know, that's supremely obvious. But how do I accept something that I reject? (laughs) How do I accept something that I am convinced that if I accept it, it won't change? How? how? Now, let me me propose something to you. Um, And I've been thinking about this, and it came up. Uh, recently, and I, I, I just blurted it out. I really didn't think it through real clearly, which I know comes as a shock to a lot of people. But, you know, it occurred to me 
that there are two people in Scripture that pretty much everybody knows, even if you're not a Christ follower, everybody knows, partly because they know something about the Easter story. And all of the Passion Week and all the the events leading up to uh, Christ's crucifixion and resurrection. And the two people I want to talk about real briefly is um, Judas, who we all know is the betrayer, the the traitor, who sells, you know, the opportunity to to arrest Jesus for thirty pieces of silver. We know about him. And then the other one we also know about because he was so good at sticking his foot in his mouth was Peter. And it it occurred to me the other day as I was talking and I was thinking about this is that Peter and Judas were of the same band of men that walked around with Jesus for three years. For three years, okay? So imagine what that would be like if you... Uh, spent time with somebody, not maybe not 24-7, but pretty darn close, for three years of time. That's almost a thousand days. And what, what would happen during that time? What would change in you during that time with the, whoever that person would be that comes to your mind? And so Judas and Peter heard the same things because they were in the same group of people that were hearing Jesus' teaching. They were there for the Sermon on the Mount. They were there for Peter in particular for the healings. And they they all they they the two of the these two men heard exactly the same thing. And they they made different conclusions which I think is quite remarkable because when it comes right down to it, the only thing, and this is coming from a perspective that doesn't, I'm not trying to ground it in any theological basis here, okay? The thing that separated Peter and Judas is that one accepted grace, the other rejected it. And let me tell you why, okay? Because they both heard about the love of God for people and the love of God enough to try to to save them, to make it make it possible for them to have a relationship with God, no matter who they are, no matter where they are, no matter what they have done, all of that. They heard the same thing. These two men heard the same thing. And they both, I think we would both, we would all agree, they both betrayed him. One for silver, the other in word. Three times. I mean, to some degree, Peter outdid Judas. Judas was one act of selling Jesus for money. Peter was multiple times in groups of people cursing and doing everything he could to distance himself from Jesus The thing I would point you to is these guys heard the same thing. And when they came face to face with their own brokenness, they had two very different responses. And the question that comes to my mind is why why are their responses so different? 
And I would suggest, and this is not, uh, you know, I'm not a theologian. I don't attempt to be or cast myself as one. But I would suggest that Peter had accepted the grace that was offered him for his own brokenness. And that allowed him to what Scripture tells us, that once he saw what happened, he wept, it, we're told, he wept bitterly. Now, now, that's pretty much all we were told about Peter. Now, Judas, on the other hand, when he realized, and what Scripture actually says is, he changed his mind because he saw that Jesus was going to be convicted. And he goes in and throws the, the, the silver, I don't know if he really threw it or not, but he throws the silver. He says, I don't want this. I have convicted innocent blood. And they say, what's, what's, how's that our problem? Really? I mean, what is it to us that you've done that? Work it out for yourself. And because Judas, being the kind of guy that he was, made a summary judgment on his forgiveness based on that, and provided his own punishment, and he went out and hung himself and committed suicide. So these two guys have very similar conclusions, but they act out the conclusions very, very differently. Jesus wept. And we're told by John that at, at, when Jesus has, has been resurrected, he meets the disciples on the, on the shore of, of the Sea of Galilee, a very, very familiar place for them to meet. And they go walking, Jesus and Peter do, do, and Jesus asks him. Now, it's not like when Jesus asks a question, he doesn't know the answer. But he asks him, Peter, do you love me? Now, that's a funny question, right? Because Peter has has sold everything and followed Jesus all these three years. He's given all that up. He's given social position up. He's given all sorts of things up. Do you love me? And Peter says, Lord, you know I do. Then feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? And Peter's starting to, to compute. And he says, yes, I do. And Jesus says, feed my lambs, which is an interesting change, right? Because he's not only talking about full-grown sheep, now he's talking about the babies, the babies. And then he says it again, do you love me? He said, and by this time, John records that Peter's grieved because it's like, why are you rubbing this into my face that, yes, I betrayed you three different times, and now you're doing this again? And I don't know if it ever really occurred to him at that moment what Jesus was doing, because essentially he was offering restoration for all three of those times with asking a very otherwise comforting question, but a painful question to Peter, do you love me? And then feed my church. I think that's how it goes. And I, Peter's stunned. He's so stunned. <laughs> this is so like us, right? That he and Jesus are together, and 
there we're told John was kind of trailing and Peter deflects and says, yeah, well, but what about him? And, and Jesus says, what I do with him is none of your business, essentially. You have to contend with these questions. So when God asks you a question, it's not like he's looking for information. I think in a lot of ways, when God asks a question, he's, he's giving you an opportunity. If you so choose, you don't have to. Judas didn't. But if you so choose to affirm what is true, what is true, there's no shame here. There's no shame at all. And that's usually how we take it. It's just like, I, I already feel bad. God, why are you doing this to me again? No, that's not about that at all. But it, our assumptions determine our conclusions. And our assumption is, is God's trying to punish me for what I did. And so now I have to fess up and feel bad and you know, walk the straight and narrow. Versus Judas, who didn't even have the conversation. He didn't even stick around long enough to have the conversation with Jesus at all and to even potentially be restored. He already concluded. Now, listen, how much of this is like us? He already concluded what Jesus' answer would be, and he enacted that answer for himself. See, self-punishment is us acting like God and indicting ourselves and enacting the punishment that we believe is what he will do. Is it any wonder that our conclusions about God and our images of God are so jacked up? Because as Blaise Pascal once said, we have made God in, in our own Im Well, God made man in his own image, and man returned the favor. And we made God in ours. Every bit is vindictive. Every bit is shame-producing. Every bit is punishing. Every bit is condemning, as we are. So who's God? And is it really even a big G at all? And that's... That's the framing here, because grace is so disturbing, and I believe that is exactly why we reject it. We talk about it all the time in Christian world, but we reject it regularly because there's no way to fit that into our way of thinking because we are so embedded in that way of thinking. We don't want to give it up. Let's just be honest. I would rather choose the comfort of my distortions than the freedom of the grace that God's offering me. I would much rather have that, which sounds crazy, but it doesn't matter what it sounds and that's, that's the essence of what we're talking about here. Because when we talk about self-acceptance, it means accepting it as the gift at, that is given. We're coming up on Christmas. Can you imagine? Just imagine. No one ever does this. I'm not saying anybody does. But can you just imagine that after Christmas is all over, the presents have all been open, and you're visiting, you know, your parents or friends or whatever, and you're walking out with gift in hand and, and you pull your host aside and say, oh, by the way, 
what what do I owe you for this? And it, I would be shocked if your host wasn't supremely insulted because I'm giving you a gift. Just accept it as it's given. And that's grace for us. We want conditions because we don't want to feel in debt. Even to God. Now, we won't, we won't make that connection. But I don't like feeling indebted. In debt to anyone, including God. So, the challenge of accepting the gift as it's given is that it actually invites humility. And, and my willingness to see my own need. And it, you're not going to produce humility, but you can cultivate the conditions in which Humility is the outcome, and that is accepting grace. The other part of this is if I accept it as the gift that it, that it's that it is, then I I actually am <clears throat> accepting that I have a need, accepting that I am insufficient to myself, and it also means that I'm committing to learning instead of always knowing. And learning is something that can go on for the rest of our lives. I, I mean, literally, I, we, it, it's lifelong learning. But somewhere along the way, we quit learning and we start collecting knowledge, like items on a bookcase. And then when somebody looks at us, they say, wow, what a bookcase. Look at all the books. Have you read all of those? It's like, yeah. Yeah, I have. I got them. But what do they mean? And what difference does it make? And what are you learning? And can you learn if you reject grace? And I would suggest, I'm not sure you can. Because if I accept grace, then all that's there is for me to learn. There's always what I don't know. There's always that, that invitation to live with what I don't know, to depend on somebody who does. Now, in certain circles, that could be seen as just being a crutch or dependent or whatever. But I'm, if I have a broken leg and I refuse to use a crutch, that's stupid. It's just flat out stupid. And we would all say so. It's like, why are, why? But when it comes to that in our spiritual world, we don't want to look dependent because that makes us weak rather than human. And so it, to, to bring this together and kind of land this plane about grace and why it is so important and and really, we have to ask the question again, what's the issue? Let's just, let's just boil it all down. What is the issue? Why is grace such a problem, but one that we long for? And when we have it, we are uncomfortable with it. And I would suggest to you that the issue is it violates justice and righteousness and punishment.
it, it, think about it. If Judas had accepted the grace that was offered him and believed that it was applicable to him, even after he betrayed Jesus, perhaps the outcome would have been different. Now, I, you know, I, I know the theological answers behind all of that because of Satan's role in Judas's life, and he had put him up to this, and Judas was following that. I get that. I understand that. But there's there's been innumerable instances of Judas's the rest of history that have grace offered to them, and they reject it because they believe that they deserve punishment, and they are going to enact that punishment. So we end up seeking retribution even for ourselves. It's inconceivable that we could be, quote-unquote, that bad and not be punished. Now, that does not mean we won't suffer consequences. It doesn't mean that at all. And if you want to call that punishment, you can. Consequences are a result of the choices I make. They're not orchestrated to inflict pain as if pain is actually going to change my behavior. Now, in some instances, it does, right? You sprain your ankle, you limp, it changes your behavior. On the other hand, long-term change requires grace. And so the, the thing that annoys the socks off of us is that it is freely given. We have grown up in a culture, we have been told over and over again, nothing is free. And when you're given something free, there's got to be strings attached or something connected to it somehow. (laughs) The thing is, is it costs the receiver nothing and it costs the giver everything. And again, that's uncomfortable. We don't want somebody to give everything so that we can experience this grace and this freedom. We want something to trade in return because that evens the tables out a little bit. The other thing is, is that, it, like I said, it's just flat out a gift. And what are gifts for? They communicate worth and value to the people I'm giving the gift to. The other thing, even in a larger sense, is in God's way of economy, in God's way of thinking, it's meant to reestablish in us the imago Dei, our our image of him. He's trying to reestablish that, but it's, it's the path of freedom that does that, not the path of punishment and condemnation. Paul goes so far as to say, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's freedom. But we contaminate it because we're sure that there's strings attached. So we'll add the strings to it to make sense of it. So there's no quid pro quo here. The the heart of shame, the contracts, the trades... That's the heart of shame. The heart of grace is covenant, is binding oneself to another whether they deserve it or not. Because it's making someone acceptable acceptable that can't see themselves as being that. And so 
the last but not least of these is this flat out a, a stumbling block for people that want to be independent and strong and doesn't need anybody and can do it themselves. It's scandalous. It, they, they stumble over it. That's what scandal means. It means stumbling block. The notion of God's love coming to us free of charge, no strings attached, seems to go against every instinct of our humanity. And the thing to keep in mind is Christianity is the only religion, if you want to call it that, that dares to make God's love unconditional and available to everyone rather than ascending steps or ladder of of uh, betterment, whatever you want to call it. See, the thing to keep in mind, and don't don't miss this, and I'm going to end on this, is that throughout the Bible, God shows a marked preference for people who are real than people that are good. Good is in the sight of the, of the person. Real is in the sight of the, the person seeing them. I'm not hiding anything. I am willing to live as I am in a relationship with God, with others. And when I'm accepted, it's me that's being accepted. It's not some image or appearance I've been cultivating or curating or ways that I've gone about trying to impress people or anything like that. And so grace is, to some degree, the greatest stumbling block to faith for a lot of people. For a lot of people, a lot of Christians, actually, it comes right down to it. We're so immersed in our culture and in our uh, way of thinking about trades and contracts that all of our relationships are built on it. I'll do this for you if you do this for me, quid pro quo. And yet, God doesn't need anything from us, so there's nothing really to trade but he gives us freely this thing that is called grace. And as Philip Yancey once said, it's the last good word. It's everywhere in our language. Gratitude is the root of his grace. So that's it for tonight. I hope it, it gives you something to think about. Um, couple things just to end, which I always do, but just to remind you that if you have questions, please don't hesitate um, to, to DM us on Instagram at SGI underscore international. Um, that's, that's where we can be found. That's where all the podcasts and reels and all the other stuff, I, I guess that's what it's called, um, can be found. And so that's, that's, um, that, that's an invitation to do that. Uh, you can also go to sgi-net.org. That's the digital home. And you can fill out a contact form and, and write a short note or write a question there. You're sure welcome to do that as well. I just had somebody actually do that. Um, you can follow us on any of the social three social media channels that we're on. I'm, I'm not going to throw, throw everything out to everywhere. 
Uh, we're on Instagram, we're on Facebook, and we're on um, LinkedIn. SGI underscore international is Facebook at. Um, Facebook is Ray.Mitch, M-I-T-S-C-H. And then in LinkedIn is DRMitch. Uh, is those three social media channels is where we can be found. Um, it, please subscribe. Please follow us um, on any of the, the the outlets that you listen to your podcast in, Spotify, iTunes, Amazon Music, wherever it is that you listen to it. Please follow us. Let us know that you're there and you're listening and, and willing to hear about us. Um, if you're interested in partnering with us or you know somebody who might be interested in the mission and vision of SGI and uh, the Outpost podcast, uh, turn them on to us and and, um, and invite them, encourage them to support us. We need it. Um, the target uh, amount of money we need to raise uh, is a lot. It's just a lot. And um, no amount of donation is too small. Um, and I, I'm not going to put any limit on too large either. Uh, we, we have uh, two, let's see, what did I say? Three, three, um, uh, silent retreats coming up and each one to, to support a person going that, that can't afford it is $360. Um, and typically we take, um, uh, individuals on, on a silent retreat, uh, for, we take 10 people at a time and that's with two spiritual directors. One is me and the other is Dr. Bill Saxby who helps me and facilitates, our our debrief groups each evening if you want to you can go to sgi-net.org and and uh, go to the drop down around retreats and you'll see what a schedule typically looks like um and you we are are hosted by sacred hearts uh jesuit silent retreat house i've been doing that for 14 years and so um, uh, please uh, find out about us. If you want to donate, you can go to sgi-net.org. I'm going to say it over and over again until you get it in your head. Um, and, and hit the donate button and you can donate, uh, whether that's a sustaining member or whether it's a one-time gift, we welcome it all to be able to, um, make it possible for people to, um, and, participate in a silent retreat which is a unique experience in terms of their own spiritual formation so all your gifts are tax deductible uh, if you'd rather send a physical check you certainly can do that as well you can send it to sgi po box um, 322 east glen colorado 80614 so east east lake colorado uh, 80614 and that's P.O. Box is 322. So thanks so much for joining me. I, I appreciate your your patience in listening to some of my um, observations, maybe even rants now and again. I pray that they, they're encouraging. Uh, and uh, I will be here waiting for you next time, next week, same time, same place. And until then, love you. Later. Bye.